For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. The Team Never Quit podcast is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. Partner up with Navy Federal so you can earn more and save more. You can learn all about this at NavyFederal.org. That's why SEAL Team was so special to me was because we were in there before everybody else. And your ability to survive was based on your ability to be fight on their terms, to be quiet, to be sneaky, to know their tactics, to be able to, you know, it was super challenging All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Podcast. So buckle up, buttercup. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of Team Never Quit Podcast. As always, thank you everyone for listening, watching, viewing, and subscribing. If you enjoy the show, please give it a thumbs up or rating wherever you get your podcast. So before we dive into today's special guest, let's kick it off with our Patreon question of the day, which is, what is your most memorable moment from your days in Buds? (laughs) You first? Yeah. So for our listeners, we're interviewing one of Marcus's Buds instructors. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Perfect question for today. Well, yeah, we'll get into that. I I get into that with him. Memorable moment in Buds. Graduating. All the rest of them are misery. Come on, man. <laughs> this is a long one. My most memorable one is with you. I, I, it's, it's long. Can you say it? I'm, I was going to talk about it. All right. And the st- well, we got past the, the Patreon question. Well, then we can wait. All right, let's go. So I don't know. The, the first time we had, I was standing quarter deck watch, and you were in your office. Just me and you. You were the OOD of the day, or the officer of the day. All right? And then when the Phantom called... She, the Phantom called the, the quarterdeck, and I sent, I didn't know who she was, I was brand new, and I sent her over to you. And then you came over screaming at me saying, don't ever send that freaking crazy somebody this over here over again. And I was like, roger that. Well, then well, I hung up, and she kept calling back. Remember, we were on the, I was on the balls to four that night, Yeah. right? You were there all night. Well, then in the middle of that, your wife calls. And I didn't know that you were married. <laughs> so I go, listen here, you crazy bitch. <laughs> this is on a secure line. I'm, I'm, I'm on a secure Navy SEAL quarter deck line. It's me and him. And he, he tells me to say this. He's like, don't ever send that. And I was like, yes, I was scared dead. I, I had no idea who he was. But I was brand freaking new, right? I mean, I didn't even have stripes on my arm. And I hung up the phone. 
Well, then I'm kind of just sitting there. About 10 minutes later, his he has this huge door to his office, and that some bitch kicks open, man. He screams my last name only. Latrell, you <laughs> motherfucker, get your ass out here. <laughs> and I come out, I'm in my dress uniform. I come running out of there, and it's just me and him on the huge seal grinder. And he's sitting there looking at me. He's like, he goes, drop down, which means get in the leaning rest in the push-up position. So I'm kind of sitting there, and he goes, you know what? Just go get wet and sandy. So I, and I'm in my dress uniform. I go out, I get wet and sandy, I come back. He's like, go back again. So I go back again, I come back, and he's rolling his, he has this roller desk chair. He rolls out there. He goes, you asshole, that was my wife. You told you cussed and hung up on it. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 sir. I was a fan. I'm just like, he's like, no, no. And he goes, now you're going to pay. And I mean, because she tuned as that. She bypassed me and went straight to him. You remember that? Oh, my God. That was our first real introduction. Because then every day after that, when, when I was loafing around or he'd see me, he'd be like. So for our listeners, there is someone call, that they call the Phantom that is a woman, or at least has a woman's voice, and calls the SEAL team to just, like... She doesn't just call the SEAL team, man. She calls every oh, man in Naval's... She was everywhere, man. So I, mean, I... This was probably five this years out. ago. This, this recently happened to me. Yeah, and probably five years ago. We're in Coronado for an event that was publicized that Marcus was going to be there. It was on doors in Coronado that Marcus was going to be there. We're in bed at the Dell, and the phone rings to the hotel room at like <laughs> two in the morning. Three in the morning, probably. Two, three in the morning. How you doing? And I answer. What are you wearing? And this woman says, hi, is Marcus there? And I'm like, who the fuck is this? And Marcus says, "He." I hand the phone, because I'm like, who the fuck is Bro? this? Bro. It was the Phantom. I heard her voice, and I knew immediately who she was. I'm not saying I didn't listen to ever talk to her for hours on end when I was on quarter deck watch. I'm not saying that I did. Okay. And for those who were wondering, she has the best phone sex. It doesn't matter. You've never even heard anything like this woman before. Well, it, it, it's I was unbelievable. Pissed, she I... found me at the Hotel Del Coronado and I was underneath my alias. I was in my room asleep and she called and passed, got passed through to me. Well, and I had never heard and of her the voice Phantom never before. changed. It sounded exactly the same. I've never heard of the Phantom before, so... Because no, we don't talk about her. We didn't call her that <laughs> back then. And it was only at Bud's back then. It, it, that was... Right. That's the only... I mean, I, I don't remember ever anybody saying anything about, like, at Team 3 being... Getting phone calls. I know it never happened on the East Coast, but it was always no, Bud's. Yeah, and the Bud students would always spend hours on the phone with her. <laughs> Some of them did, maybe. I don't know. Oh, no. But <laughs> almost everyone so... of them did. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's at the compound, which was... Amazing how she got to the Dell. Well, so here's the thing. An hour later, after he hangs up, I, I had immediately called down to the front desk, and I said, do not allow any phone calls to come through. We had Our kids were sleeping in the room with us, and I said, do not allow any phone calls to come into the room at all, none. Called again. Kept calling throughout the night, and so I know that it had to be someone at the Dell or someone at the Dell gave her access so i can't believe she's still around yeah that's 20 years ago <laughs> yeah maybe she passed it down <laughs> no no when you any team guy knows what i'm talking about and i don't know anybody who's went through there who hadn't come across there but well they, the next morning because i mean i'm 
I had never heard of this person before. So the next morning we see uh, some other team guys. And I said, hey, do y'all know who the Phantom is? And they all were like, yeah, we do. <laughs> it's almost <laughs> like they know you're going to fall asleep on watch and she calls. Because you don't go to sleep when she calls. Like, hey, hey, I can't talk. Uh, you know, I mean, dude, <laughs> I can't even do it justice. Yeah. It's unbelievable. So what was I'll just it? shake my head at him. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I get the blame for that. She called me. You don't get the blame for it. Okay, I was cool. just saying, I've, I, as your wife, I was very shocked to have some, like, There's all kinds of little whispering. weird stuff that goes on in our community like that. We don't ever talk about. Like, no one ever hears about that kind of thing, but we, yeah. we, everyone just. Well, thanks for bringing that back up because I had forgotten all about that. And that was awesome. <laughs> well, the part about the Phantom or the part about me hanging up on your wife? No, that part I remember. Oh, okay, check. And then punishing you relentlessly, I remember that as well. It was. But that continued, so. It did. That wasn't just the first time. So, I, I guess the two guys the only team guys that the, they can. Uh, mine was uh, Helo Cast and Recovery. So I, I kind of knew that I had. I really like flying. Obviously, I live in an airport. So for me, when we did Helo Cast and Recovery in third phase, when did you go through? In what what 80, was your class? Eighty four, eighty five. So class one thirty one. Sure. Like a lot of classes before years. <laughs> the hardest class. That's how it starts right there. Did you hear that? No, my class wasn't the hardest class. You admitted it was that? the second hardest class. Oh, check. Why? Who were you around? What do you mean? Well, you who do you think's the first hardest class? Who had the first? Seventy-eight. The first class. Seventy. Oh, that's good. Class one. That's pretty good. Hardest class. That's true. Nice. That's logical. But I don't know. I like. I really. I liked it, man. Jumping out of Hilo, all that stuff. I'm kind of like, okay, this is kind of it, right? Up to that point, we've been in IBSs and. But that was kind of it. You're jumping out of helicopters. Oh, that was cool. That was cool. You start forgetting about how cold the water is after Hell Week kind of deal. I mean, it still gets to you. But when you're jumping out of a helo, I never focused on that. There's some things that we do that take that that even though the other stuff is terrible and sucks, it doesn't matter because whatever tops that pulls our attention from it. That's a great place about that program. You're right. It stresses out everything we got, every virtue, every vanity, every value. That's what SEAL stands for, some kind of stress, right? <laughs> I have to. I mean, it's the biggest stress club I've ever been through. It's all right, though, man. It's the way it should be. Where, where were you born? Phoenix, Arizona. Do you come from a military family? My dad was in World War II, actually, in the Army. Nice. So, still alive? No, he passed uh, 15 years ago or so. You got any of his stuff? Yeah, some of it. What do you think about you becoming a frogman? Uh, I'm sorry, did you say he was Army? Yeah. He was Army. Yeah, what do you think about you being a frogman? So I was a nuke before I was a SEAL. Yeah, don't be sitting up like that. <laughs> so I was in a nuclear power program. That's the hardest job in the Navy. Found, out a, found <laughs> a way to get out of the nuclear power program, and we're just going to leave that at that. And got to buds. I took the screen test. I didn't know you were a buds. nerd. You have like highly intelligent. I mean, you kind of, that's good. Yes. All right, I get that. I was, that an, e, I was an ET, and then I was, I was a nuke on top of that. However, um, that completely changes everything for me. It makes complete sense of your humor. You're a tough nerd. <laughs> You're a badass nerd. That's what that is. That's why you can. That's why you get to me the way you do. Isn't that good? I never thought about. It. I didn't know that part. You don't wear your. Uh, don't wear my what? You didn't wear your bubble. Your your dolphins. I never saw those. Bubble. I never went on a submarine. I never even got to the submarine. Oh, thank God. I went from nuclear power school to buds. Oh, check. okay. So yeah. Still. So. What made you want to go into the military? 
Oh, so I was a really good swimmer in high school, and I had a assistant swimming coach who said he was a SEAL. I still have not been able to confirm or deny that, but he talked to me about SEAL team. So when I came into Navy and I was a nuke, you can't go from the nuke program to SEAL because the nuke program's a six-year program and all that good stuff. So my way out of that was one of those extra, normally people go in for four years, but the six-year programs, you're locked in. One of those years is for the automatic advancement to E4 upon graduating A school, and the other one is for the nuclear power part. Well, my A school was so long, and my time and rate back then from going to E3 to E4 and E4 to E5 was so short that I took the exam and made E4, <coughs> which actually negated that one year. So that was really my way out of that six-year program, my, that technicality, and that's how I got to Buds. So Pretty squared uh, away, man. I just really, back then, there was no, I think the only book that was out there was Men with Green Faces, probably. Oh, yeah. Great book. And what was going on? What was the vibe of the teams back? What was happening? Nothing. It was really, I mean, post-Vietnam, 10 years, you know, so Grenada, yeah, had just happened. So it was but, all Vietnam guys running around? Oh, instructors? yeah. Oh, yeah. God, what was that like? That was awesome. They hate everybody? No, it was awesome, man. They were. I, I tell people that Buds was the most adult experience in my life because you're in a fleet and you're doing all the fleet stuff and everybody hates everybody else and you know it's just a a miserable program i think being in the fleet but that's just me all you navy dudes you can you can uh, hammer the comments whatever you want to do that kind of thing but i hated it i hated every second of the the fleet part of the navy and uh but i got to buds and here i am thinking you know 24 hours a day seven days a week buds is gonna be that way and I showed up on a Friday afternoon, like four o'clock in the afternoon. I checked in, and they were like, "Hey, see you Monday." Like, so, is that all you'd seen was like, the with green faces? Just read that book? Was it? I hadn't even read the book. I think. I think. How'd you find out about the teams from that my instructor in high oh, school? Oh yeah, right. instructors. And then, I, I I can tell you right now what made me want to go to Buds more than anything. At that, when I was in ET school, I really didn't. I was, I was going to be a nuke. That's just the way I was going to go. But I'm walking down the hallway. In the back hallway of ETA school is a really dark hallway because it's all the night labs. So the hallway is it's all painted black, everything. Floor is black, side, walls are black. And I'm walking down this sea of kids, kind of middle of winter. Everybody's in their black uniforms, you know, with the tie. And I, I'm just looking down this. The classes are out. And I see all the kids walking, and I see them doing this number. They go to the sides, and then they came back in. Just like, what's coming? Somebody with a cart, whatever. It was some young E4 team guy, blonde hair. Trident was like the only thing on his uniform. And he was just walking through the crowd, and everybody was just, it was like part in the Red Sea, man. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, I want to be that guy. <laughs> and I, that's just, after being around all the normal fleet guys, I saw that, and I go, I want to be that guy. And from that second, everything I did was to get me to Buds. That freaking trident will catch your attention quick. It was just it fit for me. It was just the right place for me to be. So, How hard was that transition over? This was before all the pipelines, right? There were no pipelines. There was yeah, enough. it was none of that, right? Pass the screening test. As long as you were in a source rating, pass the screening test, you could go to Buds if you didn't have something holding you back, like a six-year program or yeah. you know, a CO that didn't want you to leave. Blah, blah, blah. That's the problem. I tell some of the kids now, I was like, if you're real, real squared away, your, your leadership won't let you go. 
especially if they put some time into you. Well, that's not a reason to be a screw-up. Well, I know, but then if you're a <laughs> shitbag, then they definitely won't send you to Bud's. you got to catch the medium. you got to, right, the ebb and flow of that. Mm-hmm. It might be different now. For me, it was, I don't know, I was still in school pipeline, so nobody cared, you know. So what was your specialty in the teams? Did you go to any, what schools did you go to after? Because I was an ET, as soon as I got, as soon as I got to Team 2 was my first duty station, and as soon as I got there, I had like five months to wait. We did STT back right, then, yeah. SEAL tactical training, I called it. Each team did their own. And yeah, they had just, six, they were just run a period. class. Yeah, you still had the six month, but you really didn't get your trident until you got in your first platoon. platoon right, they gave it to you. So I didn't get mine for like nine months because, I, I mean, I had to go through STT. And I, it was they had just finished one, and I had to wait like five months for the next one to start. And it was four months long, so... Long story short, as I got there, so the, of course I was ADT. So they said, "Did you want to go to the East Coast?" Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So um, I put two, one, and then SDB team was the uh, Long story short, though, um, they sent me to comms, all these comm schools, which kind of sucked. And then uh, while I was waiting for STT, Pierre Ponson, who just passed away, um, was out in the parachute loft, and he's like, you know, I was always out there anyway because I like airplanes and stuff so he actually uh they actually did uh we did static line of course at fort benning but he put me through free fall class because at that point we didn't even have ram airs we had nine at the team and you couldn't jump ram air shoots if you unless you had a bunch of jumps so and not a lot of guys not everyone had free fall school no no very very few people very few did. people did but Good that was like was, the coolest school you could have. They had the paracommanders, man. We had we had a whole wall full of the paracommanders, the round shoots with all the slits yeah, yeah. in them. They use them for what do you call it now? Where you know people getting towed by a boat. You know? Oh yeah, yeah uh, parasail. 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 Oh, okay. And had those parac. And he's like, if you want to do free fall class, I'll put you through free fall class with this platoon that's going through. And I'm like, yeah, I want to do that, but it, you have to jump PCs. They're going to be jumping ram airs. You're going to be jumping PCs. Man, I packed 10 of those things every day in the evening. Packed 10 of them. And the next day, I think the my first day I got five jumps. Second day I got nine. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. I, this is brand, you're brand new in the teams. At, I hadn't team even two? been to STT yet, and I already free fall called. By the time I got to STT, I had 105 jumps before oh I got there. So that almost happened to me. I almost got sent to free fall before I got to my team, but one of the chiefs said, I'm not going to do that to you because all the old timers, there's a line for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there probably still was back then. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, How was the last STT class? Now they all, it's all condensed now, though. SQT. SQT, man. And then, um, how long were you at two? Is it like Bud's team, too, like everybody says? No, man, I love team two. It was, a, it was the best. I could not wait. What year is this? I got to Team 2 in February, well, take it back, April of 85. Yeah, you look like you got trapped in the 80s. Come on, man. <laughs> that's so... You know what I'm talking about? That's, that's hurtful to me. That is not true. <laughs> 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 All the team guys wear that same exact stash, that combat stash. Oh, oh the mustache. Yeah. yeah. I don't look right without one, man. Come I've on. never seen you without it. I don't look right without it. I, I'm agreeing very, with you. This is a compliment. Just saying. I think it's a very fitting. He had, he had this Toyota uh, truck. 88, 88 Toyota pickup. Toyota white pickup with a camper on the back. That thing extended was cap. awesome. I mean, like original hubcaps <laughs> on that thing. And he would drive that. You knew, everyone knew whose truck was. And then Ensign Burns had this orange Jeep. 
I mean, every now and again, some of the guys walk around and we get anywhere near that thing and he'd be on our ass. I mean, that was kind of like, I'll never forget that thing. Yeah, I was hoping somebody would steal that. But anyway. that I, remember I we was using that to go to... back and forth to Arizona to visit my kids. How many miles did that thing have on it? 500,000? I sold it 512,000. That's what I thought. 512,000 miles? You guys wouldn't believe this thing. Oh my god. That gosh. freaking white is a Datsun, right? Or is it a Toyota? Toyota? Toyota, check. <clears throat> Five hundred. He looked way too <laughs> big to be in it, too. That was the thing. It didn't look right. But I needed a vehicle that I didn't have to, that I could A, maintain, and B, I could afford the gas. That's God, like dude, Gothro that in that. Uh, in his Prius? Prius. Yeah. Do you know Gothro? Chris Gothro, yeah, he yeah, knows I him. I know him, but I wouldn't drive a Prius. He's in a Prius. Actually, I think now he has a truck. But the first time we were getting into his car, I was like, I would have never in a so million this, years. So this is the baddest dude I that. know. He drives a Prius and he's and he he's a cat transporter. So he he transfers rescue cats from the from the <laughs> orphanages. Are they called orphanages? I think yeah. they are because cat people love their their cats, right? Foster, so it's from an or, yeah. f- to their to their house. That's what he does. I've never heard of a cat orphanage. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to watch my P's and Q's because people really love cats, man. You can offend them. Rescue. I'm a cat dude, but I yeah. don't. I've, I've never heard of a cat orphanage. Cat well, what do you call them then? Where are their rescue <laughs> shelters? Rescue <laughs> shelter, <laughs> maybe? Shelter, shelter, yeah. Cat, cat <laughs> orphanage. No, I don't have cats, man. That's going to be awesome. Now I'm going to call all cats that I trying to be strays a instead are now human orphans. Being. I was like, all right, I'm telling you, this dude cat I know is orphans. a badass and he transports cats. Funny to me. It is very funny. Got, he sends me pictures. He does. I think it's great. It's, I'm a, I'm you know, a cat. I mean, myself. you could do a whole mini series or write books on what team guys do after we get out. I have a cat, and his name's Squatch because he had big feet when I found <laughs> him. Yeah. What color is it? Uh, gray and white. That's awesome. You are a cat person? Mm-hmm. I'm a cat person because my dad, when I was a kid, hated cats. And we had a screen door, obviously. And every time the cat would get in my dad's way, he'd pick it up and he'd throw it right in that screen door. Give it the screening test, he called it. No. Nah. I'm not even Give me the cat the screen and test. Wham! So. Aww. Then you have sympathy cat. for the cat. So I have sympathy for cats. Yeah. Aww. Cat That's people sweet. remember stuff like that. Yeah. And they got the, you know what I'm talking about? My mom's a cat person. We have them in the family. Yeah. I have a cat, and I don't have like 50 of them. I, I'm yeah. Just yeah. I got a bunch a of cat. LSU tigers in here, too, so. Yeah. But if you let your cat stray around, my wife accused me of stealing other people's cats. Oh, my God. And dogs. <laughs> so anyway. That's funny. Did, okay. you st- did you stay at two for how long? Man, I was East Coast 11 years, and then I went to three. All at two, though? Yeah. Except for the, I did a little stint at the center. Was that back in the day? Because guys, yeah, people up. always ask me, they're like, guys, do you switch your SEAL teams? Do guys always jump from team to team? Man, and I, I love that. team to Yeah, most people, when they get in there, that's their house, kind of like fraternities. You go in, there's stuff to do inside the house. There's platoons. Those switch all the time. But most of the guys, they stay where they're at, unless the coast changes. Yeah, I, I love that place. So <clears throat> I didn't ever want to leave. So, but they made me. So, what year did Panama happen? Uh, December '89. Of '89. So, Can you tell us about that whole thing? Get into why we had a conflict in Panama? Yeah, so Noriega obviously was the king of drugs and all the other things bad. Like, if you can remove God from society, that he did everything that would happen once you do that. So, not a good dude, not a good, you know, it was just bad for the U.S. <clears throat> and President Bush Sr. obviously made him a target for, let's just call it extraction, right? And where was Noriega based out of? Panama. Like, I mean, like Panama City, Panama? Or? Um, yeah, ish. I mean, he had around, like, 
we actually boarded some of his yachts and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had stuff everywhere, but the idea was <clears throat> that it would, it would be the first time after Desert One, which was a miserable failure spec ops wise, only because none of the services really talked to each other. Did you go over there for that? No, no, that was before. My that was time. two. That was eighty one. That was before. That was my two's time. business though, right? I don't think there were any team guys on that. Okay, check. Go ahead. Anyway, uh, so this would be the first time that all spec ops would be under, you know, SOCOM, if you will, General Lindsay, Rudy Bosch, our, <clears throat> you know, our old Master Chief from... The guy two. who won Survivor, that the Master Correct. Chief. Correct. Yeah. Uh, he was the first Command Sergeant Major of SOCOM. So General Lindsay and Rudy Bosch. Anyway, long story short, this was a completely soft-oriented mission set was to go down and get Noriega, right? Everybody went down there to get one guy. Mm. And that was to get him and <clears throat> get him out of the country and turn that country over to the next, you know, let's call it democratic leader. So he was quite the dictator. And he was just pumping drugs into the U.S. So um, now we just let them flow across the border, but <clears throat> we'll stay away from that. Yeah. But the whole idea was to go get Noriega, get him out of there. And install somebody that wasn't as bad. So as was he other. actually running the country? He oh was yeah, he, he was, was dictator. The... Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> Bush signed the op order to to go get him, and we all went down there. Basically, on the night of the eighteenth, morning of the nineteenth. So the dive op actually happened about. Uh, it started on the nineteenth, but it was the bomb, the explosives we put on the boat went off at one in the morning on the. 20th basically so but we were just part of that so it was us and four platoons from team four there was a platoon down at unit eight already but they put them in isolation they didn't even tell them anybody was coming just put them in isolation so here's the guys that are operating in panama and working there at the unit oh really and they put them in isolation and brought somebody else in well the rest of team four came yeah yeah four platoons from team four and our platoon originally we were supposed to augment the guys and go to patia and then because there was three incursions, right? The airfield, the the boat, the water. Well, for and the, and for the, the team guys, it was Patia Airfield and the, obviously the boats in Balboa. How did we get that over the Rangers? Do we even know that story? Yeah. Obviously, this the only the only just... thing they were trying to do at the airfield in Patia was to stop him from using that as a way to get out. Mm -hmm. And there was only one plane there. It wasn't a military deal. It was just a Learjet. So. The Rangers actually did the larger military airfields. So, Roger that. <clears throat> makes uh, that makes sense. Okay. Because that's their primary. Sending SEALs to go, you know, get a Learjet makes sense, but to take over an airfield doesn't really make sense. Right. Um, not at all. We're not designed for that. It's not even our. We weren't even training towards anything like that. So, but we were training. Obviously, Team Two was the combat swimmer team. Everybody knew that. We trained with the. The Germans, the French, and everybody else. Oh, I, yeah. I spent a couple stints training with the French. Um, so we did all the combat swimming. So cooler heads prevailed. So mid-summer of 89 is when they kind of said, hey, the platoon that had been ready to do that op had to deploy. So And they were going to deploy in December, early December. So Carly was our CO, and he said, hey, your platoon is going to be the platoon that goes if this does happen. So we started training in July.
us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Tell us about the about the op itself. How big is the yacht? How far off the so it was coast a seventy one foot old Swift patrol boat is what it was. It was one of our old Vietnam boats. Um, <clears throat> I've got a picture of it. I guess I could send it to you, but um, it was an old Swift boat, aluminum hull, seventy ish feet long, and he was he had eight of them, and he would use them for all his military stuff. So. Um, <clears throat> originally there was eight boats in the water and the whole platoon was going to dive and sink all eight. So there was a plan out there to go on the surface and Zodiacs and attack the boats. And it's like, you know, ICO actually brought us back from AP Hill and said, if you guys were going to destroy or, or stop Noriega from using all these eight boats, these old aluminum hold swift boats, twin diesels, he's like, what would you do? And I'm like, simple, come on, swimmer, man. That's what we do, right? We'll dive over there and sink them for you. He's like, all right, so start training. So we did our land warfare, and then we did all of our diving, and we did a lot of diving. So we did a, I may, again, I could get into all the stuff that we did do, but we, we dove a lot, and we were good. And everybody in the platoon was supposed to dive. We got down to Panama. He had taken seven of those boats up the canal, put them on the north side, and left one boat in the harbor in Cologne. All the other boats were pulled out of the water up north. So did he know we were coming? Possibly. But he left one boat in the water ready to go. The Learjet was over at Patea. That, so our job as SEALs and, and the vanilla SEALs that were there was to keep him from getting out via the airfield or getting out via one of his patrol boats. So we did the combat swimmer out, right? <clears throat> Pretty so simple. So how did you know he was on the boat? Well, we didn't know if he was on the boat. Okay. We were just, whether he was on it or not wasn't the goal, right? The goal was to deny him Got it. use of that. So how do you do that, right? We Originally, I thought about, well, we could wrap chains around the screw. But anybody can get in the water, take the chains off, and then just keep going, right? So luckily, Commander Carly, you know, was like, no, we are going to do what we do, and that's we are going to put explosives on a boat. Couldn't put a limpet mine, though, which... I'm shocked that seals, some seals nowadays don't even know what a limpet mine is, but we couldn't put one on an aluminum hull boat without using a stud driver. Yeah. Because it won't, mag, magnets won't stick to aluminum. What was the thing about uh, strapping it that would come off? Yeah, there's no, there was no way to really strap it on there. And it was only, what, 
pound and a half of explosives, right? Which is which right. is probably yeah. enough, but the idea of an limpet mine is using the tamping of the water right. poke a hole and it yeah. floods a compartment and so limpet mines weren't good. A particular country That's had what they a, worked, a limpet. You make you make it limp, right? You kinda it's not, <laughs> team guys come up with all kinds of stuff like this, but that's basically what it is. It looks like a man a little bit smaller than a manhole cover, right? Yeah. We wear it on that's our backs. That's the big foam thing cover you put over it to make it buoyant. Yeah. And it muffles the sound. It's like the the boat would be having a fart underwater, and it, it it's the coolest stuff, man. I'm sorry, keep going. But that, that's what the goal was: was to sink these things, not to not to disable them. It right. was hey, we're going to sink them. So thankfully, Carly had a the right mind about it, and it was hey, you're going to sink them. So all the platoon, everybody, every swim pair had two boats that they were going to attach their charge to. The problem was is the only other country that had a limpet mine that we could have used had a suction cup, and they would not let us use it. So we had to come up with a way to make this work. And everybody, to this day, even team guys are like, why would you use a haversack? Haversack's got 20 pounds of C4 in it, So, which is way overkill for a little boat like this. However, we needed to dive something. Mm -hmm. We didn't have anything set up. Go big or go home, man. Never done before. <laughs> so we each pair carried a haversack and we just used the the bladder on it the buoyant the little thing you'd blow up yeah we just used it that looks like a hot water buoyancy. bottle anyway we had a we had the mcs1 clock which was experimental at the time i think it's now the mark 38 or something or not the mark right. 48 right, right. anyway we used a regular mark 39 safe and arm device and pulled out a sock taped that all up used the debt that's on the mark 39 Put that in a can of C4, sunk that down into this thing, and we strapped. We just strapped it onto the strut with the limpet backpack. Yeah, cinched it to a limpet backpack, and just strapped it on the shaft in front of the strut. So it was pretty simple. But we those the great so thing about said, those you clocks. You set the clock. What's the water like? Could you see? No, you couldn't see underwater at all. Nothing. It's, it's, it's just it's every, dark like every other harbor, man. Well, our people have no idea that the I darkest mean, place dark. on the planet of Earth is underneath an aircraft carrier at night or underneath yeah. a boat at night. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's super dark. Super dark. So, so when you're the, programming with a freaking bomb in your hand, it's cold, wet, and miserable. You got right. gloves so on. So that was the problem with the Mark 48, right? Because you, you had to put that put dial, that down, right? Down. This, we set ahead of time. It was a digital clock. I was gonna, yeah, that's right. So basically what you do is you, at that point, you kind of... Did you already put the go button on that sucker? Yes, but it had an arming switch, which was awesome. But you had to arm it... Man, that's sketch, bro. At least 30 minutes <laughs> ahead water? of time. <laughs> Right? You had to arm it 30 minutes ahead of time. T, I know in team guys, that's sketch, man. That's awesome. Well, this <laughs> this plays into the whole problem of diving in, right? <laughs> right. And they delayed us getting in the water because they didn't they weren't sure that the H hour was gonna be one o'clock in the morning anymore. But Commander Carly was, you know, telling General Lindsay, he's like, look, you don't get them in the water now, they're not yeah, gonna make it. Would you radio have like, we already started the right? clock. So we need to get going. Well, the clock started that morning. That's that's what I'm saying. You can't and the only, it, man. We got to go. It was, you know, the only thing that would keep that thing from not blowing up was the fact that it wasn't armed. But you had to arm it 30 minutes ahead of time. So How long did it take you to swim out to it? Well, we got in the water probably an hour and a half ahead of time. And it took every bit of that just about. And we were, we got maybe 200 yards away. Was there a heavy rip to deal with any of that? Oh, yeah. There's seven knots of current. Really? It was in full. When that, when the... Long story short, uh, you mentioned it was dark, but the water was also super bioluminescent, so we had to be deep. Oh. 
And I had to put my hand in front of my compass board just to be able to see because of bioluminescence. What sort. that means is every time something kicks or something floats underwater, it leaves this huge neon green, tr tr whatever color it was. It could have been yeah, it was green. Green. Uh, so people know you're down there. Oh, my god! So it was amazing. So we had to go deep. So I'm down at 25 feet, which we could do back then. It was regular? Uh, yeah. Okay, so with that rig, when you start going deeper than 20 feet, it gets dangerous for us. Well, 20 feet was what they set it at some years later. It was 25 at that point. So we could dive at 25 feet for That's another the reason full you are the way you are, minutes, right? right? Too so, deep. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. I never get a chance to throw any of you. So with man. that said, so we basically had to... At one point, because they were delaying us getting in the water, Chris and I are like, well, what do we do? And I'm like, well, we'll arm that thing on your back, and we won't arm the... He was wearing it? Yeah. That was a great idea. Good job on you. I know. I could cut him away. <laughs> you right? wear the bomb, I'll turn the dial. So the Mark 39... <laughs> Am I the only one who caught that? Yeah. The Mark 39, you you didn't have... Or you had to arm that at least 15 minutes ahead of time. So that's the safe and arming device. That's the piece between the clock and the charge. To give you a 15-minute escape time. Oh my God! So we had to arm the clock. So I'm like, well, what we're going to do is we're going to dive, and if we're if we're 31 minutes out, and we still aren't there. We're going to arm that clock. If we think we can make it in the next 16 minutes, then we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and do it, and that way we can get the safe and arming device armed before we put it on the boat, or right after we put it on the boat. But we made it there with about five minutes to spare. So we got on the boat. And I, I had to. That's the story I tell people. I was IDing the number on the boat, make sure it was the right one. And there was a dude standing uh, one foot on the... Half and half. Yeah, that's right. One foot on the little stair, on the old Swift boats that had these stairs on the back, and one on the pier. And I'm looking up at his crotch. That's probably the coolest example of frogman shit, is that this dude's standing over there on shore and on the boat loaded, and most people are scared of sharks and stuff underwater. And right below this dude is a dude who's about to freaking... Blow everything up. How about that? How far up river? So did you it guys... was. I'm sorry. It was docked. Yes. Yeah. The port. It, it was. It was yeah, butt up against, stern against the pier, okay. tied up, facing out. Facing out. Okay. And I'm just looking at him, going, "You're gonna be dead in a minute." Oh. Went right underneath and <laughs> put the bomb on there, and I mean, we were literally there for maybe 30 seconds, and we were gone. That's the coolest frogman story. And done. And then we were like 200 yards. We so didn't get very just far. Have to, like, I'm actually picturing you down there with fins, and you're just having to kick the shit out. Like, <laughs> go yeah. so fast mm -hmm. away from this explosion. And we were in the pier system, so we couldn't go very fast. Just You couldn't dive out Did you straight. get up out, or did you stay? No. So we went We went a couple hundred yards down the, down the way towards our extract. And we were coming up, you know, five minutes for one o'clock, and the bomb was supposed to go. But the the stuff had already started, right? They started at twelve forty-five a.m. So what happens to a to the metal on the boat? I mean, obviously it explodes, but underwater is that just shooting shrapnel like through waves? Everything's going up. It's going up because of the tamping of the water right the water's 900 times denser than air so everything goes up everything goes up okay we got about i don't know i'm gonna say it's 300 yards away and we went way back in the pier that that all these other ships were parked on and we got back actually like probably 80 feet back way in the dark way up behind this thing where the cement kind of started going up under the pier so there, the only way someone could have seen us was if they were in a boat right out at the edge of the pier looking in but we actually got our torso out of the water because we were only we got 40 pounds going off here in five minutes 
and we were only 300 yards away, and none of us had ever been hanging out in the water when a water shot went off at 40 pounds. So we got our torso out of the water, so we went off bag <clears throat> and waited. But there was so much going on, we couldn't even hear. You were talking about how mu- water shots are so muffled. We, I mean, we were, they were pounding the commandancia and everything, which is only a couple hundred yards away from the pier system. And we didn't even know if the thing went off. Oh and because gosh. it was an experimental clock, I'm like, did they work? Oh, my you know? gosh. Anyway, a couple minutes after that, went back on bag and made our way out. There's a whole bunch of stories in there. We got ran over by the freighter. You were talking mm-hmm. about how dark it was. So back down at 25 feet, going around the dry dock system, 12-minute dive out, 12 over, 12 back. <clears throat> which should have kept us, you know, 300 yards away from the, the canal. But we ended up, because of the tide, was full ebb. And then if the mirror floor's locks were open, there's even more current coming down. I say seven knots, but it was kicking. Yeah. And because it kind of came in and pushed us out farther than we wanted to because of the way the, the dock was shaped. Like, if you look at a Google Earth now, all that area is all full of concrete now mm-hmm. where the boat was. It's not even the same. Um, but we ended up out in the middle of the canal when our when we made our left turn to kind of head down towards our extract. And, and it's just you and it's one me and other Chris guy. Okay. And then the other dive pair, but we weren't together. Okay. Dive pair dive buddies were together, but dive pairs weren't. And so we're down at twenty five feet and I can hear the rumble of a boat a ship coming, not a boat, but a ship. You know, you could hear the I could hear the engine. You know, and so I start going down, taking my excursion, right? Because you can do an excursion to 50 feet for 15 or for five minutes, I think, and then come back up. And you couldn't do another excursion after that. But so I started going back down. Chris kept pulling me back up to 25 feet. I did that three times. And finally, I tapped on his ear. I'm like, dude, something's coming. You know, you can't talk to each other. But and he's like, oh, so we went down to 50 feet. We weren't there for more than 20, 30 seconds in the the nose of that boat came right over the top. So we talking about it was dark because we're out in the middle of the canal. There's no ambient light out there at all. But it got really dark when that boat went over. And that's on those scary. on all those freighters, oh, it's a pucker factor. Like, yeah. I can't believe you're on all those freighters, the main circ pumps, the engine, everything's in the last third of the boat. And so this thing's going over what seems like a century. And then you could hear the main circ pump and all that good stuff. And what what was funny is that, remember the strap on the Drager you yeah. never used? The yeah. mouth strap, right? So you had this strap that was on your mouthpiece. Nobody ever uses it. And the problem is, is when you're under a boat and the vibration is so bad because you're, you're near the engine and the pumps and all that stuff that your teeth aren't strong enough to keep that mouthpiece in your mouth. Oh, my gosh. And you let in water in a Drager and you're done. I'll kill you. So... With that said, right at the exact same time, right? Right as we got down, heard the boat coming, it passed over our heads or started to pass over our head. I could hear Chris zipping his. Yeah, right. So I'm like zipping mine and he's zipping his. Tighten that thing up as tight as it could go. And that thing, it took forever to go over top. Imagine being in a pitch black and there's something so violent over it. You can see it. There's something so violent around it. It's shaking you so hard that your teeth are chattering. It's blowing your gear off. Oh, my gosh. I would be so scared. And, and you're in water. This is underwater at 50 feet. That's the most. I remember the first time I got ran over. Because you can't train for that. No. There's, there's no, there's no training for that. For that. At that there's I no way to mimic how my, that feels. My problem was is I wasn't, a, I wasn't in the fleet. I have no idea how deep ships are. Yeah, yeah, and the, freighters especially. I don't know yeah, if they the go fr- 50 feet, 60 feet. And I know that aircraft carriers are like. 
Dude, right there in yeah, 45-ish, 50 feet, whatever. So I'm like... If they're loaded down, it's, it's deeper than that. But oxygen's really toxic at those depths. So I'm like, we're going to 50 feet. And if we get hit by the hull, then we know we got to go deeper. But we're going to 50 feet. And like I said, that thing went over. And I knew that it had passed completely for us to... So we could then figure out what we're doing oh, next. When we both like sloshed back and forth in the water because the screw had gone over our heads. Oh my God. So the Renegade by the damn fossil in the bow is scarier than anything. Terrifying. But then, then you got the damn propeller coming at you. Dude, it's terrible. I mean, it's so, oh. I, th I think that would be worst. my absolute worst nightmare. Yeah, that was pretty funny. That's what a nightmare is. So Some of us have to I won't explain how we, what we did to get where we were gonna go to get out of there, but, because it would take forever, but. We ended up finding our extract point, linking up with the dudes, and getting out of there. What was your extract? So, a helicopter? Or? No, it was uh, the two boats that put us in the water. The oh, two okay. Zodiacs. They were. They basically went over. And How far up river did you have? Did you set in to, to hit that offset for the? So current? it wasn't very far, man. It was like total dive from where we got in to where the boat was. It was like I want to say twelve hundred yards ish. Right. Which sounds doesn't sound like a lot, but it is a lot when the original the original Basically, the first shot was 500 yards to get to the pier. Oh. And we had to go around the pier and then down the pier 700 yards to get to where the boats were. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know. So it, took, it takes longer because you're swimming near a pier. Or, oh, yeah. Contouring uh, always. The other works. pair, they stayed on the outside of the pier and went down. Uh, Chris and I actually, there was a lot of room to dive underneath. And Chris and I actually went under all the, the pilings, kind of went over, under, over, under. And as soon as I saw some light, over to my right and i knew we were getting close and then i just beelined over there and so when you got pulled up from the zodiacs is that when they told you that it was a success yeah or? so uh we weren't actually at our planned extract point we were about 400 yards short at the end of a pier how'd they find you or did y'all have a protocol for that obviously you did but we had we were diving first time our dove with the radio was on that up but right, uh the radios didn't work for some reason um imagine that but we ended up getting to the end of the pier. What I was going to do is get up because we were really late at that point. I mean, we were hours past our extract time because um, <clears throat> it just took longer to get where we were going than we thought. But I was going to go up surface and get in one of the dolphins, you know, all the piers that, or yeah. the pilings that come together and you can get inside of them and yeah. get up. I was going to call from inside of there to keep me from getting seen because I didn't want to surface in open water. And as I was getting up to where I could get in the, the – uh dolphin the i saw a shadow i went up and it's a zodiac and i'm like i go back down real quick and i'm like what would the bad guys be doing here with a zodiac so i went up and hotel platoon little h was on the the down tube for the for the motor and i surfaced and mark dodd i don't know if yeah. you know big mark oh, yeah. dodd but the big mark dodd not the, right, the right, smaller yeah. mark dodd um it's two team guys named mark Dodd. yeah I mean, we got, got wow. the same name every damn yeah what do you mean our smiths so <laughs> mark's big dude uh bigger than me and anyway chris and i both surfaced and he just literally reached over to the Sekimar waist strap and just yanked him in the boat and the next thing i know man i'm getting yanked out of the water by mark i mean i didn't have i didn't have to ex any effort to get out of the water he just yanked me in and we're both laying in there like two fish flopping and Man, we, we start taking off in the Zodiacs to get back to the good guy side, back on the unit side. And I'm just like, 
everybody's like, great job, man, great job. And I'm like, it actually went off? And they're like, yeah. And I go, man, we did not. We did have, we had no clue. Yeah. But we had no clue at that wow. point that it had actually worked. So, so, so first time SEAL team had ever done a dive op that actually blew something up. And the last time they ever did it. That's a great story, man. Isn't that weird? That is crazy. So what, where was the bad guy? What oh, so it was probably, I don't think he was caught until the day after Christmas, maybe. Um, but he was just running around safe house, safe house. And uh, the guys at Deb Group were chasing after him, keeping him on the run. And I think he got tired of running uh, because obviously he couldn't get out on the boat, couldn't get out on the Learjet. I think he was actually, we actually did another op where we stopped a high-speed boat trying to get out to the freighters. I think that was him. Turned them around. Uh, they went back in. We didn't chase him. Um, but soon thereafter, basically, he was at the monastery or it was a it was a church or something. And he kind of holed up in there. And then they did their psychological, you know, warfare on him with all the loudspeakers and everything. He ended up giving himself up. Oh, my gosh. So, but I think it was the day after Christmas or maybe somewhere 26th or 27th. That's but I didn't have anything to do with that, so I don't kind of remember those details but still just the being a part of the whole big picture and blowing up that yeah blowing up the boat was awesome boat is when they crazy. fly on were we three weeks and we were there for about three weeks so, so I, i'm picturing the uh the freighter that went over you the yacht had just blown up they were probably like i'm getting the f out of that's here that's exactly what was going on as they were beelining trying to get out but there were other freighters trying to get in because they were like, man, if we don't get in past the first lock, then we're never getting through. And mm. we're going to have to go around or we'll be sitting here for months. So, I mean, they didn't make it. So that was on the east side of Panama or the... So if you if you look at the way the canal runs, it's kind of north to south. Okay. And it's on the south side. Okay. That was the Balboa Harbor and up north is a Cologne area. So we we're on the south side. Wow. That By is... the Bridge of America and all that stuff down there. So crazy. So, anyway. Oh my gosh. What was that like coming home from that? Because there wasn't wartime or anything. Do you just go back into training or at that yeah, point? Yeah, basically we, we, we had to deploy soon thereafter within six months. So we just went back into platoon workups. But uh, we got back and the cover story for us so that the rest of the dudes at the team didn't know what we were doing was that we had screwed up a exercise and i guess commander carly played that off really well because when we got back to the team like we we were down in florida doing some fulton recovery exercises oh, yeah. with the dummies um they called us up so you need to get back here so you can get on the plane and head down but we had a day or so to kind of get our stuff together so i can't remember whether it was 17th or whatever but we got they put a straight in isolation and the rest of the team guys were like, ha, ha, you guys suck. You know, you screwed up. Now you're paying the man. And anyway, when we flew out and all that happened, then we got back. There was only three dudes at the team that said, good job. Oh, my god! Only three. Because it had been the first time since Vietnam, or let's call it Grenada. But Grenada was a, a not, but not at the vanilla teams. And then before that was Vietnam. So over 10 years, you know, since, well, 15 years since guys had done anything. So um, it's a big deal. It was a, really a big deal. Big deal. <laughs> However, it's still a big deal, but I mean, yeah. it's, it's, you know, we're not doing anything. 
with the shadow of Patia Airfield yeah. and and the uh, yeah, there were three people. I still remember their names. I won't mention them here, but they were like, "Good job." Everybody else was like, mm-hmm. "Well, because is that because they didn't know?" Or a lot of it was because they we didn't tell them. They didn't know. Mm-hmm. They there was some jealousy there, I think, but mm-hmm. it it was undeserved because obviously you see all the stuff we've done since then, but um, you know. That team guy was bad about that. There. Yeah. And our platoon was not known for its, you know, following the party line at the team. So everybody was like, how can that platoon of mis- yeah. of They're the ones who usually get it. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm going to Go do that up. Yeah. You know? How and, the hell did those guys get that the, up? Everybody at the team knew how much I hated combat swimming. Oh I just gosh. hated it. <laughs> and everybody knew it. They're like, how can that guy right. end up on the, the combat air swimmer? The air god got the water. You know. <laughs> exactly. So it was, there was a lot of that. So. Wow. Yeah, we do have that for sure. Where'd you go after that? Mm-hmm. When did you cross over from to 95, one? six, I went to team three. Well, what were we doing then? Just. I was a chief, and the detailer at the time made most of the chiefs switch coasts. Oh, check. Mm. So I had to go from Team 2 to Team 3, and uh, Harward was the CO of 3 at the time, and he threw me right in a platoon as chief. So. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So, and something else I want to skip to, because I know that you've got a million stories and we could be here all day, but, um, so come 99, right? 99, yeah. early 2000. Yeah. yeah. You were an instructor at that time. Correct. I had just made warrant officer. So I put in for really? warrant. Yeah. Man, I thought you'd been a warrant forever. No, I was just old and salty, man. That's right. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> so, yeah, I had put on... I was at on a deployment actually at Team Three in Bahrain, and I put in for warrant last minute. They I still made it, but my prize for becoming a new newly minted warrant officer was going to Buds as a phase officer. So is that fun? I feel like all the guys have a lot of fun there at Buds. Yeah, I, like I said, man. I the first thing I did at Buds, I never got a chance to go there. What, as an instructor? Yeah. Yeah. The first thing I did, like, I literally turned over with the guy that had 
the PTR, the, that phase before me, like his turnover is like 45 minutes long. I was like, here's kind of all the stuff and but peace out. And I'm, he left and I'm, I walked right across the grinder, went in student records, got my record. Because I wanted to see what people have said about me at Bullshit. Buzz. Did you really? pull your record? Yeah, it's talking about the Hellwig journals and all that. Oh, we have cool. We have manuals of that. You went and looked. You know what? Mine's I gone. Went, Someone stole it. I went and got my record from Buds. And so, because I wanted an accurate, I want to know exactly what instructors thought of me. Yeah. Because I was the worst runner in my Buds class. Probably the worst runner ever to go through Buds. No, no. Ever. I, I am. I, I am. only anchorman tile their pods. Dude, I was in every goon squad. Me too. Man. You know how I know that? You were there. My instructor Reno kept me posted, but maybe I, that's why I had some sympathy. Okay, I was for just you. about to bring him up, dude. The only other person I was terrified of there was him. Uh, he came funny. out. He's like, "You're gonna need." He said this to Wiseman, Jed Wiseman. He's like, "You're gonna need a fucking rocket on your back to keep up with me." <laughs> I mean, I felt he weighed that. like 120 pounds. He did, wet, man. Come <laughs> dude, on. that sucker can move out like like grease. He was awesome. Man. He was. Freaking guy. With that said, I got my record and I looked at it and I'm like, okay, I'm I'm not as like I almost me and uh, Ensign Herbert at the time um, won a majority of the swims, so uh, which was great. We actually won the long swim out at the island, all that good stuff. Um, so I was a great swimmer, horrible runner, but the swimming kind of kept me out of hot water with the running, you know. And I was smarter than most, so all my scores were real high on tests and stuff like that. But how are you at the O course? Decent, like upper third. I would get in trouble because I could run the O course pretty well. I was saying, so that's why you cut me up. Yeah, but a lot of slack. it's like a it's like upper body O course, right? right? Man, I mean, I could climb like a monkey, but I just couldn't run. I couldn't run out of sight in a day, man. So you clogged me with a freaking calendar, man. I, yeah, it was bad. So. I wanted to get a really good idea of how I did in buds so that I had a perspective. Mm -hmm. And and any instructor in my little phase that we had a problem with as instructors, um, I would plop him down with his record and be like, here, why don't you see how you did it, bud? Is that how you did that? That's Before really... you start hammering these kids, buds is already hard enough. Yeah. You don't need to make it harder as an instructor, right? And that's what instructors are to facilitate the event. The students are to put themselves through the event. We're there to make sure they do it right, make sure they're safe, and catch them if they're cheating. I try. Dude, it's, look, I it's said. It. It's said if you're not cheating, you're not trying. If you get caught, fess up. I always did that. You did. Thank and you. And you always had a smile on your face. I did. Thank you very much. From an instructor right here in the flesh. Thank you very much. Just to validate one little piece of me. <laughs> That's what I liked about you so much in Buds was the fact you always had a smile on your face. You didn't take it. You didn't take it serious. Like when I got there, man, I was so thrilled to just be there. Same thing. I, I thought I was in the books. And everything that we were doing, I was like always excited about. I was kind of not. I'm not one of those like openly excited people. But for me, it was kind of like, man, this is the coolest thing. I got friends that are on ships and friends that are doing, you know, chip and paint on aircraft carriers, and here I am running around the sun, the sand, everything else. It was awesome. So I, I loved it. I loved the whole Buds experience. Loved SEAL Team. Uh, yeah, it's probably why I stayed so long. Now, going back and getting to hang out with the guys that are that all my generations running the show, and then hearing them talk to the students, the humor—you get the humor. Like when you're going through it, you don't. 
It's like when someone's coming on you, it's like, man, shit, that ain't funny. But like when you're standing on the other side of it, it's hilarious. And if you know team guys, and that's kind of our rite of passage. It's almost like you got to go to Buds, you got to go into the SEAL teams, you got to do all of this, and then when you get out, you get to get in a fraternity. Then you become a member because that's when you truly appreciate each individual's humor. About it is super hard to – there is no comparison, in my opinion, for any other training on the planet. So we can talk – I have a lot of great friends that aren't SEALs, but unless you were a SEAL, unless you went through Buds, you are never going to get it. Mm-hmm. Even though they say they do, they don't. Yeah. And I and a lot of it is is hell weak, but there is just a weird difference about seals than anybody else that I really I really enjoyed and liked. And sometimes I fit in great, sometimes I didn't. Sometimes yeah. I was an awesome team guy. Sometimes I stunk up the place. But overall, man, it was a it was the right place for me, you know. Mm-hmm. But as an instructor, you don't. You don't need to make buds harder. Instructors get there, and all of a sudden, it's kind of sometimes they're like, "Well, I'm going to make this harder, right? I'm going to I'm going to do stuff to the students that, you know, that was never done to me, or you know, they yeah. they want to so extracurricular I, activities. They show up after work and they start punishing the students. Man, I yeah, I know one dude. I shut that stuff who down. Did that, quickly. and it followed him into the teams. Like I, I've never run across any other operator when I say his name, everyone's like, "Fuck." Well, you got to remember, right? These kids that are going through buds, assume, yeah. assuming they make it through Hell Week, and once they make it through Hell Week, I don't want to say you're a team guy, but you have really, you have really, you know, done something. Done something. Eighty percent of the other people are already gone. Right. So you'll lose another five percent in the rest of the phases, but you know. Do you, you think get- the next hardest um, phase to go through is pool comp? It's different for everybody. That Hell Week's the yeah, one. Yeah, see, so for me, pool comp was it's easy. A freaking breeze. Because I spent my whole life in a pool, mm-hmm. right? We had a pool in the backyard, and I lived in that thing in Arizona in the heat. Yeah. So, like, groundproofing, stuff like that. Guys thought, found oh, that, that's the worst, found that so that, hard. Yes. And for me, it was kind of like, this is a break. This yeah. is awesome. I Some can people do this, all, been I can do this all day long. They've never been, long. been underwater like that. And then when you get underwater, they've never been in a fight underwater. Because that's what happens to us. Like yeah, down I mean, and literally in the world's been whip in your ass underwater. in the water. And if you've never had that happen to you, like, here's the big thing on pool comp, man. If you remain calm, no matter what they do, i.e., don't react, then pool comp is easy. But if you if you start fighting the instructor, I'm gonna tell. I laid there like a, a dead fight. fish, and I started to float off. You like you said not to do nothing, so they pulled me in the tub. Like, what's wrong? We thought you were dead. You're like, <laughs> you said don't do anything. <laughs> I failed, and they put me on. There's this thing called the weeping wall. I was like, bro, I mean, you talking about scared to death because they got your oxygen. I mean, it's panic, confusion, out of sequence. That it's the most technical. Hell weeks to it's buds, right? It's Try to undo it's what they do, and if you can't, it's take behind the tanks you. Can't off, see man. it. Then you got to take your sh- stuff off. On you can't see nothing there. No mask. That sucker's already gone. They probably took a dump in it and tried to put it back on your face, oh, man. Come like, on, man. Dude, that is not that pool comp is the. <laughs> No. It's the worst. It is not the worst. One of my favorite it's the most things. T- I'm at like in a... Anything in the water freaking... for me was like a super break. But mm-hmm. So pool comp for me is every time we went on a conditioning run or every time we did a time run, that was pool comp for me. Because mm-hmm. it was like... Everybody, Buds is designed... You, you told me this too. It's like Buds is designed to find your weakness and exploit it. And like, and if your buddy has one, if you're, then you're going to feel that. So like some guys, no matter how hard they beat us, could run like the I'm talking on the beach, wet and sandy, shin deep water, and I'm talking hauling ass. 
and then you put them in the water and they'll swim in circles. It's we had Roberto Salazar's brother in my butts class. So Roberto Salazar was a, you know, Olympic marathoner. His brother was a better runner than him, mm-hmm. better all the way around. The guy ran, I think, the first four-mile time run in like, like 18 minutes. Oh, oh my see, gosh. Was, that's what I'm saying. On, and that's it was in sand. On, on the in beach. the sand. With pants on. And oh boots. Oh my gosh. Anyway, you couldn't, you couldn't quote-unquote quit in the first two weeks of first phase, which it's changed a little bit now, but the first two weeks first phase was, was pre-training really, but it was still first phase. But you weren't allowed to quit. And you weren't, I think at that point, you hadn't put a Zodiac on your head yet either. Um, but that Friday afternoon of the second week, you were allowed to quit. He quit. Really? So here's a guy that could run like the wind. And you'd think that, man, Buds is going to be a breeze for him. But he had already had enough at that point and was like, no, I'm checking out. Is it? Do you think it was the, the, the mental, the discipline, and the just constant berating? Yeah, but so you, you call it berating, but it's not, right? In other words, we aren't attacking a person. Right. We may be hitting you psychologically That's to see mean. whether or not you're going to cower or curl up in a, you know, I call them thumb suckers, mm-hmm. right? You're going to curl up in a ball and suck your thumb because life is so hard, mm-hmm. right? Or are you going to rise to the occasion, right? So we're going to hit you with, hey, you're holding up your whole team. You're holding up the, the boat crew. You're you're dragging everybody down with you. You're, you know. Because the situation's kicking your ass. We've, yeah. we've, we've, we've made that a, a... So the thing is, you can't make it personal to the, like, you're ugly. Your mom dresses you funny. You know, you don't do those kind of comments Personally. to a student. Mm-hmm. You don't personally attack them, but you attack their ability in order to, to, teammate, in yeah. order to see whether or not they're going to say, you're right, I am, I am holding everybody back. So I'm going to put out more, and I am going to try to achieve at a higher level so that I don't, you know, hurt my teammates. Because in combat, that's what's the problem. That's the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Combat, you don't want a guy who's going to quit. Right. And in other words, when things get really, really tough, you need a guy that's going to rise above mm-hmm. what everybody else would rise above. Yeah. But here's so, the deal. It's like right in the middle of going through phase, you're in hell. The world's collapsing around you. People are freaking out and screaming. All of a sudden, here comes this instructor with his hair perfectly combed, with a hat, <laughs> cup of coffee. Maybe he's got his khakis on. He's real calm, standing in the in the chaos with you right here, going, "I don't know. You think you're doing a good job? <laughs> I don't know if you're doing a good job or not." And then you. You just don't, there's two worlds going on in front of you like that. And you're like, what the, and then there's somebody on the loudspeaker going, oh God, it's warm in this truck. And these donuts are so good. And I mean, they're not even talking to you, but they're just like right around you and you can't. I was fortunate enough oh. to, have, to have really three people, but two people on the Hell Week shifts that I ran was Pat Stone. So good. You got my hammer award. And Beck, right? John oh. Beck. And Which one? John Beck. Check. Yeah. Uh, Instructor Reno was awesome, but Getka was a during during Hell Week when we would run, I was run the mid shift. Pat Stone. Beck and Pat Stone, but Pat Stone would. Beck was always on the radio. He was the one that was always trying to make everybody the cry. Shit he could come up with. And he, the, come out yeah, of this it was insane. Mouth, dude. The it would just go on like, the whole what, time. What are you talking about? And he's dude? on the loudspeaker. You know the you know following he, you in the vehicle with it screaming behind you, just constantly. <laughs> Reminding you how much you suck, and it was and there's a baby so crying. We got this baby crying <laughs> tape that you put on the speaker. I made so, him stop. So there's constantly just a freaking baby crying, and this guy's going, "Oh, this Q-tip in my ear. You can't believe how good this feels." And it's just like 
People lose <laughs> their mind, dude. It's, it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. Man. I can remember one night I made Beck turn that off because I'm like, dude, oh my God. I go, stop already <laughs> with the baby crying thing. Or it was that, that last song. Singer was having a meltdown and they put it on a record and it was him sobbing and he would play it, that sobbing. And then that clown laughing, there was a clown laughing. <laughs> I don't, like, I don't know where they found this crap, man. This is John this, Beck found all that stuff. This is before XM Radio and everything. He had to go look for it. <laughs> it was hilarious. That's a torturous son bitch. So and Pat Stone, dude, he was the. I mean, when you look at this guy, he's like, oh, that's my, my uncle Pat Stone. He'd be the greatest guy ever. He's like, he's a medic. He's supposed to help. He was you. sadistic. Oh my god. I. Um, that was so funny. I don't even remember who. I would laugh my guts out. I bet. How could you not? That's why I always wanted to go back. I was like, I, can't, I don't know how you guys. Well, you saw a little bit of that every night. I would take you to the surf zone and sit on the berm and before I went to class. I couldn't. You just had such a pleasurable time about it. Like it was the both of satisfying doing your job as well kind of deal. The you made it. You, I, got. I, I tell you, man, I, I got to give it to you. You always have a smile on your face no matter what I did. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, well, so every time that... I would run down to the beach or I'd have to run to the pool, I'd always try to come up with something to say to you on the way back over. <laughs> One of the instructors had just gotten a video camera and like a camcorder and had gone out and videoed some of the guys. And somehow a little clip of that footage got back to us while we were married. And there's a video of Marcus. I think you're sitting under the boat. Yeah. The uh, idea, like the there's a couple of guys underneath the heli. boat. And they look like shit. Like the guys look just beat down. And the instructor walks over with his camcorder and he's like, hey, Marcus. It's farmery. One of your... Uh, your best friend just quit. What do you think about that? You going to quit? And Marcus looks up. No, sir. And he goes, well, your friend quit. You're not going to quit. And he goes, I got more friends. <laughs> it was in the moment. Okay. I was having a bad day. <laughs> but that's what he said. And I was like, I freaking love him. That's but it was so neat to actually be that's able funny to stuff see right there. him in that moment. I was back you know, in the 1900s. hear these stories. <laughs> what are you talking about, man? That was just like last week. Right. right. And on. one of the other things that um, I find fascinating with Buds, uh, because Marcus has several friends that are still instructors, and when we go back to Coronado, we're right. able to go over there. Um, the comics, the artwork that the students oh, do. She loves those. About the instructors. Yeah, about the instructors. I freaking love yeah. that. So That's pretty funny. Not, I think we don't ever video the skits, but the comics are, that's a good part we do. That's funny. And there's a, like a record book of it that there's somebody that's actually drawing a comic of the instructors. Um, it's good because some classes have guys that used to draw and they could draw for Disney. 
or, or I mean, comic I mean, books. Yeah, yeah, they're great. I mean, they can really freaking go to graphic artists. And some of them, and some of the instructors get pissed when they don't draw them. They're like, hey, I, I need my comic. But do you the know morning. the history of that? Who started I that? Don't remember that happening in my little stint there. Okay. I don't, I don't remember that. If it happened, and obviously I wasn't one of the ones they drew, but I don't remember that happening. I think oh my there's gosh. random stuff, but as far as a tradition. Yeah, I guess the phase office probably keeps that around. Like if he comes in, he's like, hey, I want you all to do this. It's possible. Well, when we went. Right. Um, that wasn't a thing when I was there that I know of. Uh, this guy, one of um, Marcus's teammates, he was the instructor at the time, pulled out all these comic books. I mean, it looked like 15 or 20 of them. And I got to sit down and just flip through them. And I thought, that is a cool freaking tradition yeah. to be able to... When I took her back, we've been back a few times. We yeah. went to in the, in, the phase, in the first phase and tried to look at the Hell Week manuals. Or, and um, mine's the only class that's missing. So I didn't even get a chance to. I knew I was a shit bag, so you don't have to tell me. You don't have to show me. <laughs> I didn't. I I had you as I had you working with me as a as a green. Or yeah, a, you damn sure did for a while. Brown shirt. That's right. I got assigned to you over in PTR. It was well. I I, I think I got to enjoy it too much. That's why I got in so much trouble because instructors didn't like me. Is that when you got hurt? Yeah, after I broke my leg. It's when he moved me over there, and then. You know, I kind of became buddies, but I'm still in a, it was it was weird because then I was still a student. So as soon as I got back in a phase, man, it was uh, whatever. Yeah. And then I would run into you. I run into me everywhere. I don't know if you remember the HSV out in the middle of the ocean uh. somewhere. And, and I ran. I walked into the skiff, and you were in there. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about the most random places That's outside cool. the country. I'm like, what the heck? And then you went because I was everywhere. You were. That's what I'm saying, man. <laughs> you can't get away from this freaking guy, dude. I came up from, from a submarine and got up on this boat that was one of them on the planet that we had. It was te- it was a test and evaluation test thing. Bed, yeah. And then at, where'd you go after phase? You go how'd you get over to JTAC? So I was at Team Three, and when Admiral Olson obviously did Seal Two Thousand, all that stuff, and then nine eleven happened. Oh, yeah. So I was in uh, trying to finish up my degree and uh, at Buds, and nine eleven happened. So I called Commander Curtis, who was the CEO of Team 3 at the time. I said, hey, I want to come back, obviously. And he's like, all right, we'll get it in the works. So um, I think it was maybe a month or so later that I got back over to Team 3. But now I'm at Team 3 as a warrant. And at that point, we had three task units at the team, still only six platoons. So they divided them up into three task units and they didn't have any of the lieutenant commanders and the task unit commanders or yeah, anything. So that wasn't even a thing, right? Uh, Adam Curtis actually was like, he took me and another warrant and then Steve Schultz, who was a LDO and he's like, you're the task unit commanders. So go. Um, did they move you over to LDO? Is that what you said? You got switched. I over? didn't move over to LDO until later. Oh, okay. Check. It was, I actually became training officer at team three for a little bit. You're a full line, right? Then that you were, no, in I was an LDO. Okay. Check. Cause they switched those two, right? Well, they got rid of LDOs. Oh, okay. That's right. That's right. Probably six, eight years ago, probably. Yeah. I don't know, something like that. And they only have warrants now and full line. LDO so I would have had to go duty, to full sorry. line. And I could have because I had a degree. But LDO was designed for the non-degree dudes to make it into an officer program. Uniform's the same. Everything's the same. The only thing you can't do as an LDO that you that you could do as a line officer was be the seal S- of a of a Skipper. combat unit, mm. right? You could be a CEO of a non-combat unit, but not a combat unit. So you couldn't be a CEO of a SEAL team or something like that. But um, 
But anyway, um, as warrant, being task unit guy, then obviously we uh, trained up. I trained up my task unit, running them everywhere, doing what we need to do, and then we deployed to Afghanistan. And uh, we were there for nine months in Kandahar, and they moved us to Ali Salim. Oh, cool! Kuwait, you were on the first of that. And we were the guys that were the first night in on, you know, OIF. Like oh we literally gosh. flew in onto the Alpha Op Peninsula. Kick-ass career, man. When Camp was Rhino, that? How soon after 9-11 did they actually deploy y'all? Oh, right away. Oh, really? Yeah. But I, I, again, I was still at Bud's. So I had to, it took me, when I was September, I didn't get back over to, to the team for five months. Mm. So uh, there were guys that already had gone. And, you know, here I am in a task unit. So I, wasn't, I didn't get over there for a year after all that. Three was the first ones over there anyways, though. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Chief... Um, I remember talking to them guys. That was cool, too. First one's in. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash aware. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What, I mean, that had to be like complete Wild West going over there that early. I think the first guys getting over there, everybody's trying to figure everything out. Yeah, but nobody was equipped. Like, you know, we didn't have vehicles and all that stuff for body armor or any of that kind of stuff. But so, we were me, in... I'm, a, I'm a full 100% against body armor, period. Dot. I. I don't think you take a special warfare seal and put them in body armor to do anything. I'm maybe I'm too old school for that, but I am not risk averse. In other words, for me, I'd rather be able to move fast and quick with a group of guys than That's the only thing that saved my life. Is that I didn't have body armor on. I don't think we should be wearing body armor. So everybody can slay me however they want, mm -hmm. but that's not what SEALs were designed to do. In my opinion, we weren't designed to drive around in 50,000 pound vehicles. We weren't even designed, in my opinion, to drive around in Humvees. So, uh, you know, SEALs are supposed to be swimming and sneaking and taking it to the bad guys on their own terms, i.e. not in military boots and military uniforms. Mm -hmm. You know, we should be, we should be guerrilla warfare fighters, in my opinion. So sure. like, I, I, refer to, I refer to SEALs as commandos and other things. Guys have a heart attack because they're like, oh, you can't call us that. And it's like, man, I, I come from the post-Vietnam world prior to all this other craziness right in the middle. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's, you know, the night I went into Iraq. So we we're on the ground first. First night I weighed at that point, I was running about 210. I weighed 330 pounds Wow. without a rucksack. That was just my... Let's call it first, second line gear, yeah. right? That was just my radios, my 40 mic mic, my, you know, my, I think we were running M4s, but um, it was just that stuff. Mm -hmm. 
And oh, batteries, I was over 300 pounds. You know, band, I was 320 pounds oh, or 330 pounds. Most every like guy that. was over here. And I'm just like, this is insane. Mm. How can you? How can you move? And we got it when we when we landed, man. We were in that reclaimed area where they had all the dikes on the Alpha Peninsula, yeah. right by the big metering manifold facility, and it was it was all mud. Mm. And I can remember I'm the first guy on the helo, last guy off. I get off the helo. I'm I'm standing two feet of mud. The tailgate's like right behind my knees when they lift it off. I didn't even get. I, I couldn't even move. I had mm. to wait till the helo lifted off for me to for me to move because there were already you know all those holes from everybody else in front of me. And I'm watching them trying to slug through this stuff, and I looked over to my right, and there's a road, and it's way up on a berm. I mean, it's high, and I'm watching them, looking at the road, and I'm like, I need to get where I need to go so I can get the JTAC world moving. Yeah. And so I, I walked over to the road. It took me maybe 15 steps to get there. I got in the road, and I sprinted down. I got there way before everybody else, and I think Commander Curtis was pissed because he's like, how'd you get here so quick? You know, because you're up there silhouetted on the road, bad guys all around. And it wasn't, I wasn't trying to be uh, reckless, but I'm like, I need to get there mm -hmm. so we can get the ball rolling with the aircraft. Yeah. And this walking in the mud stuff, to me, is puts us in a greater vulnerability than being silhouetted up on the road. That's the worst over there, moon dust, too, after it rains. So yeah, like most, this was like, like uh, Denmark. They had... Put the dikes in and pump the water out oh, to so get more land. You know what I'm saying around this facility. Wow. So it was I call it reclaimed, but uh, crazy. That is crazy. How long were you over there? We spent whatever, um, probably a month. Yeah, Jack. Because we followed Manus and everybody, one more div all the way to Baghdad. We were in Baghdad for probably ten days and then turned over to Team Five. But all in all, man, we were gone for about a year-ish, you know, because we were already in Afghanistan. And then they turned us around because we were in country to go do the Alpha thing the first night. Wow. So, Alpha Peninsula, and I, yeah, I remember doing it. We did. It was the Peninsula, the Metering Manifold Facility, and the... Uh, the Goplats? Maybot. Maybot Chaot, yeah. yeah. I was there for all that. So it was all of that at the same time, simultaneously. Man, we had, I don't know. 10 of 18s, couple of probably four A6s at the time. I remember walking off the plane and I had a, a Vietnam flag jacket on. And then we were swapping body armor when we and, and gear when we got in there. Yeah, the, the gear thing was was interesting. So um, where were you during Red Wing? Because you were still in. Correct. I was probably already up in Fallon, right? I just left you. That's right. That's right. So I was just with him, and I, I just that's left. That's right. So you showed up. Uh, and I mean, just left. You showed up in Fallon in January, because I remember we started the class January 2nd or 3rd. We did the academics, which is two weeks. And then that year, they have what they call pogonip. It's a freezing fog. In other words, it's really foggy, because it was humid the summer before, a lot of moisture or whatever. But the fog freezes. And so you have this 100-foot layer. It's just 100 feet high. Above that, it's super sunny. But for the bottom 100 feet it's fog and it's frozen so all the fences and everything it's like it's covered with snow and that lasted two months we had four clear days out of 60 days i was there for that whole and day. i remember talking to his man mass chief yeah that's right he got yeah and after the two weeks because i was I'm, in hawaii so they left <laughs> and i'm like hey i'm like what do you want me to do with this kid you know <laughs> you're like i've had him before <laughs> i so, can't get rid of this bastard he's following me everywhere so what do you want me to do and he's like 
uh, is it any problem to keep them there? I go, we can send them back, but you're just going to have to fly them back out again. And I go, I, go, I, don't, I don't know when this is going to clear up. So I'd rather just keep them and we'll have them do, you know, busy work. He can do push-ups until, the whole time. Until we can get <laughs> out there. Did I treat you like a bud student? Yeah, it was awesome. Did no, I great. treat you like a bud student? No. No. See? So, um, again, adult experience. But, no, it wasn't buds. It was different. It was, it was, but yeah. we tried, right? Our goal was to get him qualified, and we wanted to get all the other kids back because we sent all the other kids home. Then everybody else got to go home. And we just kept him because his boss. I called everybody's bosses. So what do you want me to do with them? Yeah. Like, we'll send them back out. So. Um, and this is JTAC school. Correct. Yeah. JTAC course. So, uh, I don't know. 60 days later, right, we it cleared up. We got enough aircraft to kind of get you done. I think you left yep. us early May-ish, May. probably. Oh, wow. That was right before. And then you turned around, like, within three, four weeks. Yay. I came off the island, went straight out to him, stayed there until I left, went back to the team, packed up. Yeah, so it was it was right before that. That had to be rough on you. As soon as I got into Afghanistan, I started calling. Artillery was my primary. We didn't really, I mean, we studied that, but not as hard as the other stuff. I remember that. And then once they started pushing me out. Though, yeah, and I wasn't, we, we, we just weren't a big, we had to call for fire, but, it, you know, SEAL team doesn't usually, uh, up to that point, we didn't really call for fire very much. We used helicopters. Mm -hmm. So we were doing what they call, you know, five lines for the helos, but we weren't calling, calling in artillery. Calling in yeah. Right? So, so we did it. We actually had 105s out there, and you guys got to we use them. that, yeah. So we exposed them to it, but we really weren't doing a good job at that point of, of creating guys that could do call for fire. So That's a great, best course. So when Red Wing went down, had you put any of the other guys through, Buds? That so um, the only one I didn't see right before that happened was Murphy. Um, I had Dietz, and uh, I think I had him out to do currency. Um, as far as anybody else in that whole task unit, no. Who's your last class out of buds? Who's the last class you put through? Which uh, class? Yeah. As far as when I was a buds instructor, mm -hmm. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember. I mean, I left there, like I said, February of. I was the advanced training officer, so it would have to be right about nine eleven time. Nine eleven, that's right. Yeah. Right about nine eleven time would be the last class. Mm -hmm. So for me. Yeah. So. Wow. But yeah, I had Dietz and Axelson out to do currency Check. before i can't remember where, it was in that same time period like april ish i think if i have it right they could have come out before the class i don't remember but i know i had them both out there to do currency but um but i never i had never met murphy i know there, so. i mean obviously it affected like all team guys um emotionally that whole thing but being mm almost like a father figure like this instructor figure to them that had to be hard on you too was, uh, all that kind of stuff is devastating anytime we lose people it's devastating mm -hmm. you know <clears throat> especially when you lose them and and you know from my perspective obviously things could have been different so i, I you know i always ran things completely not completely differently but i ran things a lot more i kind of buy the training by the book than some other people did mm -hmm. that kind of thing so yeah, it was it was hard. You remember calling me September, right after that. You and I had a long conversation. I always check it with you. So I can't get away from it. Now you live down the road. We didn't live down the road from each other. Come on, man. He Again, likes it. He likes it. You get to spend. It's time an with honor. Me. Yeah. You get to spend. Time I told you about this guy, yeah. dude. I, great, right? 
funniest. Come on, man. Come on, man. Well, what a career you had. 34 years. So, yeah, it was kind of weird being a civilian running the whole program, but I was still, I was a GS and running that whole program up there. We built it from two guys to 22 guys in the time I was up there. So Wow. So when you get out, you transfer here. Now you're mentoring kids. Yeah, so when I we traveled around for a year after I retired, retired. So I retired active duty in 09, late 09, and did the GS thing until uh, middle of 16 and left. And I had just gotten to the point where I was kind of done. You know, I was... I hear a lot of guys saying that. You know, I had I had reached my that point where I'm like, if I don't go do something else now, then I'm stuck here. I, I might as well stay till I'm 62 or 65 teaching JTAC courses, and and I didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So, but I had no idea what I wanted to do. So it was really a tough time for me. That transition was was horrible. Um, drove around an RV and then ended up here because of Lucky. Um, so Lucky was in my JTAC course. We always had a a guy in a flight suit, commander typically, who was like the, the co-head of the thing, even though we're at that, we're at an air, a naval air station, and so they always put a flight suit in charge, a JTAC course, once we kind of changed how we did things and made it a lot bigger, had our own building. So Lucky was the guy in the seat, and he would take care of getting all the air and everything else and the coordination and everything. He wasn't an instructor per se, but... He and I would, would, you know, kind of co-do that. We'd spend a lot of time in the off time talking. So um, I I ended up in Texas because, one, we really liked it. And two, I kind of wanted to, he and I had kind of been a handshake in, in my office one day or his office, one of the two, said, hey, when I get out, I'll spend some time traveling around and we'll get together and we'll start a business. Because both of us was kind of, hey, a business seems like the next big adventure for both of us, you know. So... I got here and we had no clue what we what we were gonna do. Um, we ended up opening up a holding company and then actually five other companies underneath it, LLCs. Got rid of three of those, but kept two of them. One was the you know basically we were doing uh, we call it mental coaching, and I know you've got uh, you know you're steeped in that kind of stuff for a lot longer than we have, but. Um, I learned it from from y'all though. Under old eighteen information services, we can talk about what old eighteen means here in a mm-hmm. minute. But um, basically, what we were doing, we got invited to Sam Houston for the baseball team and the golf team, and we did we created a whole course on how to build mental toughness. Right? Mm-hmm. We think it can be taught. I'm hundred percent believer that you can, if you are a thumb sucker and you're the type of guy that always lays around in the fetal position, crying crying in your soup. I believe if you really have the desire, you can you can basically give yourself the belief to make it through anything and that's really what it boils down to is that's buds 100 percent right? true yeah buds or anything else if you believe you can do it mm-hmm. and you have the physical capability to do it but if you believe you can do it and you got the drive or desire we call it passion but really it's drive then you're you can succeed at whatever you want to do yeah you know so so we basically run these kids through a 10-hour program to to do that to teach them what we believe and and we spent a lot of time kind of developing it so but we spent a lot of time on the on the personal side of things and we would start that first which was really the wrong approach so in learning the wrong approach first um we kind of tighten that up later that's what we do Mm -hmm. but uh, we learned from our mistakes but the whole thing was hey you know can you teach someone mental toughness well the golf team 
uh, I don't want to say they were obscure. They had won some conference championships and stuff like that. But now they consistently win it. And they're in the, you know, the, the big leagues now when it comes to golf programs. I awesome. mean, they went to the Nationals for the first time ever, that kind of thing. So uh, the baseball team actually oh, they're real good. did fantastic. Mm-hmm. And so what we were teaching, that, that kind of caught on. And then we did a lot of other universities at the collegiate level. Um, and again, well, here we are spending all this time on, on talking to them about these, you know, these, uh, you know, personal things. Like you, if you're going to go to Bud's or I'm going to go to Bud's, you know, and I'm going to do something legendary, then I can't, I can't be way, have all this weight. You know, I can't be thinking about holding on too tight, thinking about the wife and kids and that kind of thing. You know, you can't, you have to be able to block out all the negative influences. Mm-hmm. So you have to talk about what those negative influences are. So we spent all this time talking about that stuff. So what we finally did was that's when we wrote the book. We didn't write a book and there's no trident on the cover or anything like that. There's a, there's a guy surfacing in a Drager and an F-14 because Lucky started out in F-14s. <clears throat> but we took all the basic stuff that we were teaching and put it in that book. Mm-hmm. It's called Unwavered. And it has to do with the unwavered self-belief, right? If you have unwavering self-belief, then you can accomplish anything. And so that's why the title is Unwavered. Um, and the website's also Unwavered, but it's unwaved.red. I never knew you could do other things other than .com and .net, mm-hmm. so it's unwaved.red. Oh, um, nice. But we didn't put it on Amazon or anything else because the intent wasn't to go out and sell it and make a million bucks and and sell the Trident. The, the, the goal was to have the, you know, be able to hand out 10 of these and say, here, read this before we ever get here. Because yeah. the stuff we really need to talk to you about is, are the other things, talent, passion, professionalism, um, are our three kind of starting points. When you so said how that can earlier, people buy it? Just go to unwave.red and they can buy it. So. Okay. You said earlier that those words that we use, like drive. When we say that, that means it feels like someone's inside of you driving you and like you can't do anything about it. Like you want to be there. It's everything you do is consistently focused in that direction. You're talking about an all-consuming mindset, it, right? This, it gets you in every direction, mind, body, and spirit. Can you that's the only thing you're thinking about. Mm-hmm. And if you allow all these external influences, we call them cancers, uh, you know, all the external influences to weigh you down, you're never going to make it, man. Right. You know, you got a negative brother, sister, mom, dad, friends, you all these people, hey, let's go drink beer. No, I need to train. You know, and if you don't have the strength to say, no, I need to train, then you don't have the drive, then you're never going to make it in anything. You can't become a professional golfer if you're out, right. you know, drinking with your buddies every night. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. So if you're not all consumed by whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish, then you're not going to accomplish it. It's not going to happen. When I went to Bud's, man, I had, there was nothing else for me. Nothing. No girlfriend, no nothing. It was, mm-hmm. that was it. And I ate, lived, and breathed becoming a seal yeah you know so that's kind of what we put in there it's kind of a hundred thousand foot view you know we can talk for days on on that kind of stuff but um and what's old 18 so old 18 is really old 18 outfitters is the other company that we were that we still have and it's primarily fishing rounds which i am personally not the fisherman Uh, i am he is yeah, uh, Lucky is, and then uh, his brother-in-law, his name's Jake Brewer, uh, master rod builder. He'd been building rods since American Rodsmith was around and all these Texas companies. And um, 
so Jake is like the savant when it comes to a fishing rod. Like he can touch it and tell you exactly what <laughs> what power it is and the tip uh, speed funny. and all these other things. I mean, it's crazy. So the three of us, he came in. We were we were using an office in the building he was working in to get this, un, you know, to get this unwavered, this, you know, these uh, mental coaching kind of going. And he walks in and he's like, man, people in the fishing world. They're really greedy, man. They're 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 getting these rods real cheap and they're selling them for two hundred bucks. And we just kind of looked at each other and like, what if we, you know, got a rod and sold it for eighty bucks? Mm-hmm. You know, and that really started that whole old eighteen outfitters. I'm there because I really wanted that company to become an outfitter place. You know, where we talk outdoor stuff. Where you and, go, dude. And <clears throat> you know, but I had no clue about business, so we're about five years old and. It's going pretty strong, but you know we could be stronger. But we haven't, we don't have the liquid cash to to go to that next level, you know, and and create this huge company that sells everything else, you know. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> but locally, man, especially um, we do we are nationwide. It's old18.com, um, <clears throat> and that, like I said, primarily fishing rounds. But old18 is we wanted something that kind of echoed Texas history. Mm-hmm. If you go back to 1835, 36, mm-hmm. when Sam Houston was getting ready for the war. Yeah. At San Jacinto, right? yeah, after Alma. Right? So he was getting ready. He took all the younger guys out of the towns and stuff like that, and they were training up to go against Santa Ana, right? So town of Gonzales. Yep. Come and take a flag. Everybody knows it, right? You got mm-hmm. it right up there. Well, I have an original. Come and take it. A real one. Nice. Well, the, the original Gonzalez flag, the battle flag, was lost in the war. It was made from the women's, the wives' wedding dresses. Exactly. The one I have is made from my wife's wedding dress. Nice. Yeah. Our friends, the Junk Gypsies out of Round Top, Texas, they made it for him. They That's cool. asked me for the lining it's of my cool, wedding man. dress. So, what was left in the town of Gonzalez? So, uh, we would love to get big enough so that we can pump some money into Gonzalez. Uh, but I we're not. We know a lot of people. That's a great town. But we're not. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, and we didn't want to hijack the history, but we did. We hijacked the history because it meant something to seals, fighter pilots. They're the trigger pullers, and yeah. they're first in, right? So the town of Gonzales, everybody's gone except for the older gentlemen and the wives, and they come to get the cannon that they had given them to fight off the Indians, right? So we're talking, everybody thinks to come and take a cannon's huge. It's just really a bitty thing. I have a replica of it at the house. little bitty thing. Yeah. But they wanted it back. So depending on what history you read, there was 50 to 150 of the dragoons that came back to get it. And when they showed up near the side of the river, like, give us our cannon. Yeah. Right, so they sat there. This thing's going on for a week, and so this day and age, it'd be like right? someone loaning you a shotgun. Correct. And then they went, they came back wanting the shotgun. Correct. Right? They gave you yes. a shotgun to defend. And they sent 150 this, people. Yeah, 150. This is the size of the shotgun. Cannon. I have it somewhere. It's, it's literally. It's, it's in your office. It's in my office. Yeah. So what's left in the town of Gonzales are 18 old dudes. Oh, nice. Right, and they're standing on the other side of the river, and they're like, "Hey, you want your cannon? Come and take it. Right, mm-hmm. come and get it, big fella." So they call those guys the old Gonzalez 18 or the old 18. I love it. And so because of seals and all that stuff, mm-hmm. we we named it that because it meant something to us. Because yeah. we, you know, we're always the we're always the people that are on the ground first, right? Mm-hmm. We're always the people that are not just first, but way before everybody else. Just yeah, like we're the ones that keep that guys. stuff alive. We keep those sayings and all that yeah. stuff alive. Because UDT it's, guys it's in World War II, man, they had to go clear the beach obstacles before yeah. everybody else came in. And a lot of those guys got just utterly killed 
just clearing obstacles Mm -hmm. way before the night before two nights before a week before a beach landing you know and so if you go back in seal history you know you got the naval combat demolition units the oss you got the udt guys you know i mean there are all that mixed into our history yeah and so you got a long long-standing history of guys being on the ground or in the water first and all those videos of everybody storming the beach and coming across who do you think's film you know there's people filming that who, who do you think came in before that mm-hmm. we did <laughs> and we they, we left signs yeah we left signs for them like hey welcome to the war <laughs> udt was here first UDT, we were here first no matter what anybody says so, y'all know that so we were actually blessed to be able to go to peleliu oh nice um, back in 2014 with a World War II Marine. He was like 92 at the wow. time. Yeah. And uh, we, we got to go to Orange Beach. Um, that was a really cool. That's way down there. Beautiful us. place. Yeah. yeah, that kind of stuff, man, when you go back and you think about the guts those dudes had to oh. have, man. It's oh, amazing. Man. Yeah, it really Absolutely is. Absolutely amazing. You know, the, it's, it's a storm, especially at Normandy, man. The bunkers, because we didn't, apparently, I didn't know this, but we didn't hit any of those, so they were all active by the time oh, we yeah. showed up. That the It's crazy. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. So, you know, I don't know. For me, it was, that's why SEAL Team was so special to me, was because we were in there before everybody else, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And And your ability to survive was based on your ability to be you know, to fight on their terms, to be quiet, to be sneaky, you know, mm-hmm. to to know their tactics, to be able to, you know, it was super challenging. Yeah. And I'm not saying the other services, don't take that the wrong way. Any kind of warfare is super challenging. Right. Obviously. Um, but this was, this was different, you know, and I really bought into the whole, I still have my old videotape. I don't even remember where I got it, but someone special, right? That was a videotape that... Seals nowadays, I, I don't think they get to see, Mm-mm. but that was a really, really old video about, uh, you know, about SEAL Team, you know, and SEAL Team, like when I got in, man, SEAL Team was like 20 years old. It wasn't really that old, mm-hmm. you know, and so, and I had gotten to the East Coast right after Team 4 had been formed. Mm-hmm. I mean, so as I was going through budget, had Team 1 and Team 2, so on my little dream sheet, I put Team, team 2, Team 1, SDV. Which those were your only choices? That was our, that was the only choices we wow. had at that point, you know. So, uh, luckily, you know, I got to team two, and there was all sorts of strategy. Put the one you don't want to go to first, and everything. And I was just like, no, I'm just gonna, I'm going to put where I want to go, and if I end up somewhere else, yeah, that's fine too, you know. But um, I was, like I said, man, I I couldn't wait to get up in the morning. Couldn't wait to get to the team area. I was the same way. I loved it every day. Absolutely loved it. So. I went straight to special deliveries, so I got Hawaii right out of the bat. But I, I did, man. I, I loved all the training trips. Yeah. Anytime you walk in, your chief, your boss, sitting there looking at you in a pair of shorts, the grin on, is like, "Hey, I'm gonna send you to this badass place. So you get to do this." And I was like, Are "You kidding?" Me? I got to, I, I, as a punishment, not a really a punishment, but it was kind of a punishment because I was a very my first platoon commander, in my first or my post platoon evaluation put in. And one of the one of the bullets was lacks a refined sense of tact. So that was that was kind of what framed me for my first platoon because wow. I was very outspoken because I was very hey this is the way we learn this is the way we should do it yeah <laughs> this is the way that works you know and so with that said 
uh, I was sent to go do combat swimmer, which everybody knew I hated my platoon. Just despised doing combat swimmer. That's the hardest thing. And they do. sent me to France to work with the commander. With those guys. Who, that's all they do is die. That's right? all they, they do. They wake up in the morning with their, they got, they show up to muster with their wetsuits on and their dive rig over well, their shoulder. And you were involved you know? in one of the craziest missions of SEAL but this history. Is before, right? This is before <laughs> that, right? Oh, yeah. this is like, that was like my third, fourth platoon. But this is before that, man. This is like as a brand new guy. Yeah. They sent me to, Marine Corps Scout Sniper Instructor course, and to go dive with the Commando. Oh I'm just gosh. like, gotta be. My chief went through that dive course, and he would when we were going through dive phase, he would always he'd look at every. He's like, you need me black right here. Put more black right here. This is too. Sh-. I mean, he said them and the Germans can freaking dive. I never went to any of the German stuff. Although, Those dudes can dive. You know, at Team Two at the time, you know the two the two di- comments from our gurus were Aaron Griffin. And um, his name's right in my head. Um, It'll come to me. Um, But those guys, you know, they just lived and breathed. Combat Swimmer, and they were the instructors at Team 2, and they had both been through, you know, Command Hubert stuff and the Germans, and they'd been through all those courses, and they were, I mean, it was great instruction. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was fantastic instruction. And you never know how far you can take something until you see some of these. Put some work into it. Yeah. Chuck Williams was the other guy. Nice. Um, so for um, Unwavered, can people still hire y'all to come out? Absolutely. And, okay. Sure. So they just go on Unwavered and... Yeah. So my email for that is randy at unwaved.red. Unwaved.red. Okay. And what do you got coming up? What do you want on the plans? Anything? As far as near term, no. So um, working every day with really the fish and rod company making that. You know, just old 18 outfitters making that what it needs to be. Well, thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you for coming and sharing your story. And people need to go to unwave.red. I actually looked up, because I saw it on the paper, I looked up unwave.red.com. No, it's just unwave.red and then old18.com. Yeah, so it's just dot red. Unwave.red. All right, well, thank you. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming down. And if you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up or a nice rating. And we will see you next week. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? 
Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.